Can you guys turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3? We are <clears throat> continuing our series together through the pastoral epistles, uh, which are, of course, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. I'm going to, this morning we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13. Um, so I'll read them for us. This is the word of the Lord. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve as well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. And when we think about that corporately as a church, that means that your word gives us a way forward. And it especially gives us a way forward when we think about our leadership. So will you transform our hearts this morning? Make us eager to hear from your word what it looks like to manage the household of this body well. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you guys will remember that last week we looked at some very practical things. You remember that this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy is a letter that expects to, where Paul tells Timothy that he's expecting him to stay at this church that's been planted in Ephesus. Stay there and manage it. Be the pastor of it. Stay there and lead it. And so throughout all these letters, we get these very practical, very clear, very lucid statements from Paul that says, Timothy, this is what it looks like to present a worship service and a way of life and a way of engaging your world before the Ephesian Christians. And so that's what we've been looking at. Last week we looked at that in terms of how men and women are to relate to each other. David said that genders, of course, we, we struggle to relate to each other because of our different genders. And so Paul gives us a way forward, at least in terms of how we relate to each other in a worship service. Now, Similar to that, this week we're going to ask the question, just simply, what does it look like to build a structure in a local church that glorifies God? How do we keep the mission of the church going forward? How do we keep doing the things that God wants us to do? And what does it look like to have leadership that exemplify those things, but then also teach us and guide us in those ways? Now, just like last week and the week before that, the church has interpreted 1 Timothy chapter 3 a number of different ways over the years. You guys know that different churches have different ways of organizing its leadership structure. And so it makes sense, I think, 
to take a step back today and say, let's talk about that. What is the way that Columbia Presbyterian Church believes that the church should be led? How do we think the church should be led? And then we'll look kind of briefly at the qualifications for these things. But we want, David said this morning, how, that we're about to nominate and sort of ratify the leadership that's already been in place and been nominated by this church in a couple weeks. And so it's really important that you understand what we mean by officer, what we mean by elder, and what we mean by deacon. So very practically this morning, we're just going to take a step back. We're going to define elder and deacon and officer, and then we'll look at Paul's requirements for them. I want to say at the outset, just this is very simple. Uh, the word that you heard me read in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for elder is the word overseer. That's what I said. That's what Paul has here, right? If you look in 1 Timothy 3, 1, uh, if anybody desires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And when we say the word elder, we mean overseer. There's good evidence to believe that Paul used those words interchangeably. So because we use the word elder in our church, I'm going to use the word elder when I talk about this passage this morning so there's no confusion. And then secondly, I think it makes sense just before, we, in, by way of introduction, just to define the word officer. You may not know what we mean when we say officer or office, but we say that our elders and our deacons in this church are our officers. And a very simple definition, the definition that I'm going to think of this morning that I'm going to use, it's one that I've gotten from elsewhere and just modified slightly. But an office in a church is just a specific task given by God, acknowledged by the local church for a specific purpose with a view to the church's growth and edification. That's a mouthful, but all we're saying is that an officer has a job to do, something that God wants him to do. It's a specific thing, and the church has to acknowledge that. But the gist of it is, and the thing that's really critical, I think, for all of us to understand, is that an officer in our church is going to be somebody that's busy. I don't mean busy like in the negative sense, but it's going to be somebody that's active. It's not a kind of vague advisory panel that doesn't move and shake. This is going to be the very opposite of that. It's going to be active men that are breaking into the life of this church and being dead serious about its growth in a spirit of Christ-likeness. These are people that you are going to know. That's why we say we want to define officer very clearly. Well, let's start with elder. The role that that the elder undertakes is one of shepherding and rule. So in short, the elder's responsibility in this church is going to help preserve and encourage and cultivate our life in covenant with God. This means that they're going to lead us as individuals, but they're also going to lead us as a whole body. Now, we said this a little bit last week, and I hope this makes sense because it's very important. When we say that the elders of our church, that our session lead this church... It does not mean that any individual elder leads this church. Does that make sense? This is the whole of the session. All of our elders together as a corporate group that guide this church. That means that there's never a moment where any elder can kind of step outside of the group of elders and command you to do anything on his own. This is a collective group of people, and nobody stands over the top of it as individuals. Not David, not myself, not any individual elder. It's a, it's, a, it's a company of people that we call the session. All of them, all them as a whole, have the authority and responsibility to shepherd this church into faithfulness 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, individual elders are going to have certain responsibilities, but the weight of shepherding is not going to fall on any one man's shoulders. So from there, I, what, I think, what I think would be really good to do, I, it seems to me like it would help all of us, is just to say very practically, what is it that you as church members can expect of your elders and deacons? What are you going to just see? What are the things that you're going to look at? You're going to say, I'm a member of this church. Membership is reciprocal in a Christian church. This isn't something when we ask you to join our church, that doesn't mean that we're asking you only to like give your money and give your time you also can have expectations of our church as a whole and the primary way that the church fulfills our end of the bargain is through our elders and deacons. So what does that look like? I think the first way in terms of elders is that the elders of this church are going to know you. And I mean that in two ways. I mean the elders of this church are going to know you in a prophetic sense and in a personal sense. Now, by prophetic, I mean like what you maybe call, could call macro-knowing. That is, we believe that the, the church, Columbia Presbyterian Church, is a well-constructed piece of the body of our Lord and Savior, J- Jesus Christ. And that well-constructed piece has certain characteristics. It's going to have strengths and it's going to have weaknesses. When we come together as a whole, I believe that God sees us in a certain way. We're a certain kind of church because all of you as individuals, all of us as individuals, when we come together, we are a certain way and we have strengths and we have weaknesses. Now, a biblical example of maybe what would help you to discern what I mean is um, if you think in the book of Revelation At the beginning of the book of Revelation, Jesus goes to seven different churches in Asia Minor and He says specific things about those churches. Church in Sardis, church in Laodicea, church in Philadelphia. You tend to behave in a certain way. So a really famous one is the Laodicean one, you remember? And Jesus says, y'all are lukewarm. You're not hot and you're not cold. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now that's a really negative example. But there's also positive examples in that passage, right? Where Jesus says, the thing that I know about you, this particular church, in this particular city, in the globe, is that you all have a knack for persevering amidst trials and tribulations. That's something that you do. It's characteristic of you as a people. And I, Jesus is saying, I want to acknowledge that. And I want to say, I praise that about you. Our church is going to have the same thing. And it's going to be the responsibilities of the elders as a group to discern what those corporate characteristics are to encourage the positive elements of them and to try to twist and turn and mold the negative aspects of those things into something that pleads, pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to know you in that way. Secondly, uh, I think that the elders of our church, and this is the one that's um, maybe the most obvious, but they're going to know you personally. It means they're going to just simply know you. They're going to hopefully know your name. They're going to know the name of your spouse. They're going to know the name of your family. Whoever comes here, they're going to really know you. You're not going, they're not going to be something that's talked about that seems like some kind of backroom decision-making body. These are going to be people that know you and that you know them. So that's the first thing. They know you. Secondly, I think, uh, and this is, this is so important, and this is 
something that as a church body we're going to have to make sure is true because it's going to be something that we will sort of ebb and flow with. Um, But our session, our elders are going to take responsibility for your spiritual growth. Okay. Now there's a corporate element to that, a prophetic element to that, and then there's a personal element to that, like knowing you. The corporate element is they're going to take responsibility for where this church is headed. Okay? So this is like a jargon word, but they're going to be responsible for vision casting. Where are we going? They're going to help the pastoral staff. Them and the pastoral staff are going to put a target on the wall, and they're going to say, this is the route that we're taking to get to that thing. That's one of the ways. Also, the elders are responsible for the teaching in this church. Now, primarily, the form of that is going to take, the the people that are going to do that primarily is our teaching elders, David and myself. But those are very important corporate elements of the way that our elders are going to help our church grow as um, a corporate body. But the personal element is, of course, uh, individual discipleship. The elders will be responsible for individuals in this church growing in discipleship to Jesus. That does not mean that every single person in this room is going to actively at all times until Jesus comes back have an elder discipling them personally. But it does mean that the elders are going to take it very seriously that every individual is growing. And that's going to be something that we all are responsible for. Y'all will be responsible to make sure that your session is doing that. We're all going to have to hold each other accountable for it, but we are very, very serious about that. Being faithful to God's Word and building a session like that means, like I said, that we, our elders are not going to be a professional group of people disconnected from your lives. They're going to be in them and discern whether you're growing and whether you're not. They're going to locate, like we said as a whole church, your strengths and your weaknesses. And they're going to encourage you in your strengths and help you in your weaknesses by encouraging you. Finally, the elders of this church have a responsibility to protect you. That's something that you see in the scriptures that, the el- that elders are, are talked about like shepherds. And shepherds, of course, have this responsibility to protect the sheep. We believe as a church in sin and we believe in the devil. And we believe that churches are threatened in a number of different ways. And the premier protectorate of this local body of Christ is our session. How are they going to do that? Well... The first way is they're going to protect this spot, this, this music stand, this pulpit, whatever. They're going to protect this. The elders are responsible to ensure for you that when you walk in here on a Sunday morning, what you will hear to the best of the ability of our teaching elders comes from God's Word. It can't be, it's not as best we can tell going to come from some other influence and the elders have a responsibility to make sure that when you come in here, you're going to hear definitely a fallen, imperfect man talk, but you're going to be hearing him talk about God's Word. Also, they have a responsibility to shepherd and protect this church from scandal. That means, y'all, everybody, they, they do have a responsibility for church discipline. That means that there's no member of this church that can fall into egregious and unrepentant sin without the session discerning that and taking active steps to rectify it. That should make you feel 
not scared, but extremely comforted. That means that there's no situation in which I or David or any pastoral leadership or any session or any member can get into a situation where I'm continuing to exercise influence and authority in this church in deep, egregious, and unrepentant sin. The elders are going to protect you from that. That's a broad overview of our session, but that's a good one. It's not comprehensive, but it gets, us, it gets us started and it can begin to give you at least a piece of expectations that when you come to this church, you're going to know what to expect from them. Well, what about our deacons? The deacons are a different office altogether. And when we refer to, the, when we refer to them collectively, you'll hear us calling them the diaconate. It's just putting onet. On deacon. That just means collectively what we call the people that are deacons when they get together and conclude on business. And you'll hear occasionally a distinction made between elders and deacons that the elders are concerned and sort of uh, in charge of the spiritual affairs of the church and the deacons are in charge of the physical affairs of the church. We're sort of unhappy with that uh, description, it, it's, there's, I understand what it means, but it's not perfect, and that'll become clear. Maybe the most obvious reason is, and everybody, most people in this room will know this readily, oftentimes, of course, the person that's closest to a human being's heart is the person that helps deal with a physical need that they have, right? And that's a phenomenal way to get into somebody's life and minister to them spiritually is to minister to them physically. We're all going to be doing that all the time. Regardless of that caveat, it is true that the first order of business for our diaconate is to be responsible for the physical needs of this church. Now, what does that mean? Totally, simply, and practically. It means the diaconate is responsible for financial difficulties that happen in families and individuals within this church. We want to know about every single financial need that's in the member of this, membership of this church. Every single one. We won't because you won't tell us about everyone. But we want to know that. We will not be able to respond completely to every single physical need. But we are very serious about knowing them and being able to discern in what way or another we actually can respond to that. The, our diaconate wants to know your needs, your physical needs. It's very important. That's what they're here to do. Many of you will have come. One of the great advantages that we have at this church for the time being is that we don't have a building. The deacons don't have grass to cut, you know, because we don't have grass. They don't have walls to paint because these aren't our walls. And that frees them up to really do the real ministry of loving you and caring about your physical needs. And that means financially, it means in terms of illness, it means in terms of a host of different things, but we take that very seriously. We want to respond to all of those things. And that is, of course, like I just said, where this spiritual-physical distinction between elders and deacons becomes not helpful. Because you're going to come to our diaconate with a need. And that's going to be the thing that's right in front of your face. That's going to be the thing that you're thinking about. I don't have any money to pay rent this month. Can the diaconate help me? The diaconate wants to help you with that. But they want to look at you and look beyond that. And they want to see needs that stretch way beyond November's rent and into eternity. And ask questions in those moments that suit you for Christ-likeness for the rest of your life. 
distinguishing between these things, spiritual and physical, won't help because we just want to minister to the whole person here. Also, the diaconate is going to be the front line of our church's response to mercy ministry in this city. We already have relationships as a church with different ministries focused on mercy and justice throughout Columbia, and we're beginning new ones. But it'll be the diaconate that spearheads Columbia Presbyterian Church's engagement with these ministries. And we, we hope, in a less formal level, on a less formal level, that our diaconate shepherds us in the ancient Christian practice of hospitality. It's going to be our diaconate that disciples us in that. That's a broad overview of elders and deacons. And I didn't take the time in this to sort of take, us, to take you to every single place in the scriptures where these things are exhibited, but I could. And you can go home and do that. You can find what we said about elders and deacons, in the, or in, about elders in the Old Testament in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4. You can find it in Ezekiel 34. You can find it in Acts 15. You can find it in 1 Peter 5. You can find what we said about deacons in Acts 6 and 7 and in Romans 16 and in 1 Peter 4 and so on. Those things are there. And it's important for us to discern and sort of be the kind of people that go and say, is this what the Scripture says? And then come back and say, this is what we're going to do. Now, now we kind of know what these men are to do. But in conclusion, let's just ask, what kind of men should they be? And you heard me read 1 Timothy chapter 3. And maybe the thing that jumps out to you readily or most immediately is that they need to be men of like deep, an abiding character, real Christian character. And maybe when you hear those qualifications read, you say, eh, I just, I don't know any man that fits all of these all the time. I mean, there's no man that I know reasonably well that would fit this description entirely. I don't know anybody that perfectly meets this list. And of course, I would agree with that. I mean, I know that I don't mean it, right? I know that from a negative standpoint, every single solitary thing that's listed here has been true of me. And I don't just mean in my whole life. I mean since I've been a believer in Jesus Christ, these have been things that have not been true of me. You understand what I'm saying here? There's a sense in which nobody can perfectly fulfill this list. But the truth is, if there was somebody that could fulfill this list, he wouldn't need the gospel, right? I mean, if there was somebody, that would like immediately disqualify this person if somebody could completely fulfill this list. They wouldn't be good elders and deacons because they're shepherding you and believing the gospel. Still, though, all that being true, I don't want to overstate this because it does mean something. It means something to call our elders and deacons to a certain kind of character. If it doesn't mean perfect adherence, could we at least say it means the general tenor of somebody's life? This passage does not say, as long as this man's heart is in the right place, he's okay. It doesn't say, find a man that you think maybe, probably, will stay the husband of one wife. It doesn't say find a man that exhibits two out of the ten. It doesn't say any of those things. Paul really, really cares about the way that someone's life looks outwardly because he knows that the reputation of the local church is at stake and because he knows that by extension the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ 
is at stake. We want to walk up to these men and be able to say without a hint of irony, without smirking, without acting sort of like, eh, kind of. We want to be able to say, that's a generous man. I mean, I truly believe that that's a generous man. This is not a greedy man. And I can, I can, as best as I can, in good conscience, nominate him for this role. But here's the kicker. And this is where it's relevant to every single person in this room. It takes one to know one. Okay? It takes one to know one. You, as church members, are going to be nominating elders and deacons, and you'll vote to install them. If we're going to place elders and deacons in our church that exhibit this level of godliness and integrity, then we have to enact it. There's no world in which the church body does not fulfill these things to the best of their ability and has a leadership that does. Because basically all of these things that are mentioned here are required of all Christians somewhere in the Bible. You're not going... You can't, you can't honestly spot a generous man if you're greedy, okay? You're never going to be able to look out into the world or look out into this church as a violent person and say, there's a gentle man, because you won't have any frame of reference for discerning that. If you're a quarrelsome person, how will you ever be able to listen long enough to spot a truth a, a truth speaker or a peacemaker. How can you do that? You can. And neither can I. Cultivating these characteristics in our life is for all of us. And building a church that has, an off, has officers that exhibit these qualities mean that y'all are doing it. And your expectations of the people are of the people that lead this church are just as high. I don't want to be double-tongued and a gossip because then how will I ever be able to understand the dialect of honesty? I don't want to be that way. It takes one to know one. And by God's grace, I think I hope we're all learning to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, not just our diaconate. But the good news is, is that at the end of the day, the elders and the deacons are not finally your shepherd, right? You guys know that famous passage in Hebrews chapter 13. It's like a benediction where the writer to the Hebrews says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, what? The great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you. He's doing the equipping with everything good that you may do as will, working in us that which is pleasing in, our, in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's Jesus that's the shepherd of the sheep, finally. There's no moment in the life of CPC where tyranny sort of takes over our session and Jesus' reign and rule gets debunked for the authority of man. Jesus Christ will always be the head of His, head of his church, this church, And His rule will always be one of peace and gentleness and grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for Your love. And we thank You for the men and leadership that You're raising up here. I pray that You would give us hearts to be submissive to them, but that You would also give us eyes to see them in a thousand different ways, to discern Your work and their life, and that You would make all of us into Your image so that we can build a church that loves You, and by your grace continues to walk in your ways. In your name we pray. Amen.